Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the morning service. I would like to read the chapter 1, Nehemiah 1. Again, that's page number 549 in the Pew Bible. So follow along as I read from verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. And it came to pass in the month of Chislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, and he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that is those that uh, didn't want to go back, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel thy servants. And confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, Though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now, these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let thine, now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Again, may the Lord help us to remember his word. Before we go to prayer, I just mentioned that Uh, Catherine has told me that uh, their little sister, Anita, will be flown back to Sudbury tomorrow. And they rejoice over that. Things are looking better. Her breathing, she doesn't have to wear the the mask to breathe. It's just the little uh, hose, I guess, that goes under the nose and so on. So, uh, mom will be home, Lord willing, tomorrow. So we rejoice with you 
and continue to pray that the Lord would give that little child, little baby, the strength and that she needs. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the day that you have made for us. We thank you that we can come in this place, the house of the Lord, to sing praises and to, Lord, honor you, to give you glory, for you are worthy, O Lord. How great thou art indeed. We thank you, O Lord, for answered prayer. Even as we have met, Lord, last Sunday and through the week, you, you have given answer. You have strengthened some and you have, Lord, shown your power. O Lord, we thank you that we can come before you. Our God, our Creator, our Comforter, the one who, whom we can lean upon. Oh, Lord, we thank you and praise you that you have made access through the Lord Jesus Christ, access to thyself, O oh God. And you are, God, able to answer our prayers. We come before you uh, as a needy people indeed. For you know each need, even as we bow in your presence here today, O oh Lord, the secrets of the heart are known unto you. Lord, we pray for our church family and friends. Lord, we just pray your good hand upon each one. Each one, Lord, there are those who need physical strengthening and healing. There are those who are going through trials and difficulties. Oh, may they know the loving arms of a God who cares. And Lord, we come as well needing a pastor for this work. This is your work. And we come again, Lord, humbly bowing before you, seeking your direction, the man of your choosing, one who loves the Lord, one who loves the work of the Lord, one who loves the Lord's people, one who desires to reach out to the lost. O oh Lord, we need the shepherd. But Lord, you have given us the strength to carry on, the resources to carry on, and we thank you and praise you for that. Lord, you have a plan. You have a purpose. We ask that you would bless our time now as we look into your word. Help us, we pray, to glean, Lord, from it what you would desire us to better equip us to serve you, and Lord, to go forth as your witnesses. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray together before we go to the Lord's word. Heavenly Father, again, we seek your guidance as we open your word today, that you would help us, help us to get a greater understanding of the God you are, able to meet all of our needs as you have for those who have gone before. Bless, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As I thought of this morning's message, which has to do with uh, our reaction, the first and second reaction, uh, to circumstances that come into our lives 
For some reason, my thought went to the year 1957, uh, when my oldest, that was my second oldest brother, died at the age of 19, uh, when the tractor broke through the bridge on the farm. And it's uh, my mother, I remember then as well, uh, not knowing at the time what had happened to Jill, that was his name, uh, had gathered us younger children uh, and got us to pray. I was quite young at that time and confused of, you know, over all what was happening, but mom recognized the situation and her reaction was to pray. One of our daily readings last week told of the writer's aunt's fearless spirit. She had uh, shared in an email uh, with her saying, I cut down a walnut tree yesterday. Now this chainsaw-wielding aunt was 76 years old. You can realize her concern, that is the concern of the niece. However, she claimed that the old tree roots were growing through, uh, the uh, bursting through the concrete. And then she, she said it had to go. But she added in her email, I always pray before taking on a job like this. So I'd like to take a, a bit of time this morning, some time for us to think about second reaction, our second reaction to situations. To begin with, Let's turn our thoughts again to Nehemiah. We've read that this morning, uh, page 321 in the Pew Bible. First, Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. We meet Nehemiah in his position as a cup bearer. He's a cup bearer for King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. The last sentence of chapter 1, uh, verse 11, says, I was a cupbearer. So, just a little aside here, this was a very high court position. I had not realized that it required uh, Nehemiah to guard the living quarters as well as taste the king's wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned. We read that cupbearers were the most trusted of the court officials and were held in great esteem by the king. And I thought to myself, you would expect that, wouldn't you? Because that person uh, you know, would be the one, as I said earlier, tasting the wine, making sure there was no poison, and the king would owe his life to this one to protect him in such a way. It was while serving in this position at the time of Israel's exile that Nehemiah heard news that the people who had returned to Jerusalem were having a difficult time. And Nehemiah was concerned about them. He heard that the wall of Jerusalem was broken down and its gates had been burned. Now, the broken walls had left the people vulnerable to attacks from the enemies. And, and hearing the destruction and chaos happening there, he sat down and 
wept. However, Nehemiah's compassionate heart for this people caused him to want to to get involved. But we see a progression here in verse 4. Verse 4, we read that he sat down and wept. And not just for a few minutes, but for some days. We'll call this his first reaction. After assessing the situation and crying about it, his second reaction, recorded at the end of verse 4, was he prayed before the God of heaven. He, he poured out his heart to God. Lord, help me. Nehemiah wanted to get involved. His first reaction was to weep. His second reaction was to pray. And then I ask, that is what our second reaction ought to be, shouldn't it? Now, perhaps a brief look at Nehemiah's prayer might help us to to be more aware of what is involved when a child of God prays. I've got six points to mention here. First, Nehemiah had a burden. There was a serious need. The city of Jerusalem was in uh, a desperate situation, and Nehemiah took this news at heart. And I thought to myself, do we, you and I, see the need around us? And do we take that need seriously? Do we take it to heart? Secondly, prayer and fasting went together for Nehemiah in verse 4. And then verse 6 says, I pray before thee now, day and night. See, Nehemiah had given up his meals and his sleep as as he pleaded with God. And thirdly, Notice how Nehemiah's prayer took hold of God's name and God's character as he approached God. In verse 5, O Lord of heaven, the great and terrible, and when we use this word terrible here, and we use it a few times in the reading this morning, it's awesome. Uh, Awesome God that keeps covenant and there is keeps a promise and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. He recognized who the God was with whom he was pleading. This God is great, awesome, and keeps his promises. He also has mercy on those who obey him. See, Nehemiah was a servant to this God, and it is to this God that Nehemiah came. Fourthly, Nehemiah's prayer involved confession of sin. Notice the end of verse 6. He admitted that the nation had sinned. He admitted that he had sinned. He admitted that his fathers had sinned. And in verse 7, Nehemiah admitted that they had been corrupt. 
and had broken God's commandments. This was real stuff as he approached God. And fifthly, Nehemiah's prayer also took hold of God's promises. In verse eight, verses 8 to 11, he recalled how God had promised to punish disobedience, but he had also promised to bless repentance and obedience. Nehemiah asked God to be merciful. And sixthly, Nehemiah recognized that prayer did not replace planning and working. Prayer did not replace planning and working. Notice Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It says, Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant hath found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres. And what does it say after that? That I may build it. That I may build it. Nehemiah prayed that quick prayer before answering the king. But he had a plan in place. He had a plan in mind. Nehemiah was ready and willing to go to Jerusalem and do the hard physical work of rebuilding the walls of that ruined city. Nehemiah prayed and had been praying for four months. But when God opened the door, Nehemiah was ready to go to work. Nehemiah prayed for what was on his heart. And that reminds me of the seven-year-old Malcolm, who stood in front of a hundred other kids. It was a Sunday school type thing, and he prayed. And this lady, Ann Cetus, recalls what the little boy said. He said, Jesus, thank you that some of us get to play football and go to church. And for safety on the ride here, and for forgiveness of our sins, and for eternal life. We love you, Jesus. Please, don't forget how much we love you. And then she adds, It brought tears to my eyes as he expressed his heart to God. As adults, we may tend to try to polish our prayers a little, thinking that it will sound better to God's ears and to the ears of those around us. But I think God must delight in hearing just what is on his child's heart. I think so too. Nehemiah wept about the sad condition of Jerusalem, but his second response was to pray about what was on his heart with a willingness to go out there and do the work. I'm reminded of Moses in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verse 15, when after conversing with God to ensure that God would go with him he says, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. As if you would say, 
if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up there. Whatever we do in life, whatever we commit to, whatever we follow, whatever we might enjoy or pursue or spend time on or spend money on, spend energy on, it should have the blessing and approval of God. And sometimes, if you're like me, you forget that. That would certainly prevent a lot of heartache and sleepless nights, wouldn't it? We need to seek the Lord's will before making decisions, great or small, it doesn't matter. Let's turn now to another passage of Scripture. As we think of second reactions, and this is found in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 8, at, in the Pew Bible, page 321. 1 Samuel, chapter 8. And it's verses 4 to 6 that I'd like to think on. 1 Samuel, chapter 8, verse 4. We read, Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah, and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us, like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. Verse 6 that I want to think about. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Samuel's reaction can cause each one of us to ask, How do I react when I'm not pleased with something? How do I react? Thinking about Samuel's situation, we need to remember that this man had served God faithfully over many years. When we, when we, rather, we can well understand that when the Israelites asked Samuel for a, a king, Samuel must have felt, and I'm sure felt, a personal rejection or neglect. This was an unforeseen request, since he had been their prophet. He had been their faithful leader. He had been their judge for so many years. In verses 4 and 5, the elders got together. They, they ganged up on him, really. And said, Samuel, you're old and your sons are not walking with you, with the Lord, so give us a king. Wow, I think of that. Step aside, Samuel. That must have been quite a blow for him. How would you and I have reacted to a situation like this? Samuel had led the people well, demonstrating leadership at its finest over these years. He had preached repentance, and the people had repented. In just one chapter earlier, he had prayed for them, and the Philistine forces had been vanquished without any weapons being lifted in defense. 
or attack. We read that a stone of remembrance had been set up to signify God's God's goodness to Israel for time immemorial. We would say Samuel had done, done his best and his best was good. Indeed. However, time moves on. Now Samuel is old and the leaders of Israel decided that it was time for change, time to push Samuel aside, out and move on. I think we can well understand Samuel being unhappy and even angry about this. But Samuel didn't linger there, did he? Instead, his second reaction was to pray, as we read in 1 Samuel 8, verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. Samuel didn't agree with them. And this caused him to talk to God about it. He had a difficult situation and he would ask God's counsel. He needed God to intervene in the situation. It must have been comforting for Samuel to hear, to hear God, God's response. Look at verse, verses 7 to 9. Just with that in mind, the comfort. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, For they have not rejected thee, Samuel, but they've rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. The, the God Samuel had served so faithfully understands his feelings of rejection and answers him because that same God was rejected. Samuel could have gone, gone on grieving over this thing, this rejection, but he chose to take a second step and pray. Bring it to God in prayer. And these, you know, these ought to be examples for us. Challenging us when, we, when something displeases us. Because things displease us in our lives indeed. Our first reaction might be anger, fear, sorrow, tears, disappointment. But what will our second reaction be? Do we make a point of advertising to others how let down we have been? Do we persist in self-pity on focusing on our attention on the situation? Do we, be, do we become angry? Do we lash out in, in anger? While it is understandable, that we would feel this way, 
We mustn't stay there. We are to make sure that our second reaction is to pray. To pray about it. Let Samuel and Nehemiah be our example. When when something has caused us displeasure, we need to tell God about it. We need to tell God about it and, and ask for his guidance, his direction. Charles Spurgeon once remarked, and I quote what he said here. He says, I remember it said of a godly man, Mr. So-and-so uh, is very strange. The other day he prayed about a key he had lost. The person who told me this, Spurgeon says, was astonished at bothering God about something so trivial. What? Bother the Lord about a lost key? That's right, Mr. Spurgeon replied. Tell me, how big must a care be before you can talk to him about it? If a certain size is required, we should be told in the Bible so that we may learn the mathematics of prayer. Small matters often cause us great concern and sometimes are harder to deal with than bigger things. If we couldn't voice them to God, it would bring great loss of comfort to all. End of what Mr. Spurgeon said. After the close of first war, the First World War, a woman walked wearily into a grocery store in Chicago. Christmas was one week away, and this woman was in need of food for her children. Times were hard. Her husband had died in the war, and this dear mother had no income. In search of assistance, she asked a grocer for food. I have nothing to offer but a little prayer, she said. And the grocer gave her an abrupt answer. We can't run a store like a bread line. She waited several minutes. He shifted from one foot to another. Finally, hoping to get rid of her, he handed over a scrap of paper and said, Here, why don't you write out your little prayer? Then I can get back to work. He was sure that would settle the matter and he would be rid of her. However, to his surprise, the woman plucked a piece of paper out of her pocket, handed over the counter, saying, I already wrote out my prayer last night when I was awake watching over my little sick baby. He was embarrassed. The grocer hardly knew what to do, what to say. Other customers were watching. Placing the piece of paper on the side of his old-fashioned scales. You remember the old-fashioned scales? He said, well, let's see how much food this prayer is worth. He placed a loaf of bread on the other side. Nothing happened. More food was added several times until finally the scale would hold no more. He was astonished. He was confused. He was angry. What was wrong? He wondered. He looked at the dial on the scales, yet the needle still pointed directly to the zero. Embarrassed and flustered, he gave her a big bag and said she'd have to bag it up herself. He had no time. He was too busy. But after she was gone, he looked the scales over and found out they were broken. <laughs> they had worked right up until the time that woman walked in. 
grocer snatched that little piece of paper on the other side. See what she had written. Please, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. All prayer to God must be done fervently with a sense of conviction, honesty, and reverence. I think of that woman opening the door of that grocer door, walking in, walking in, trusting that God somehow would answer, and even asking. All prayer to God must be done fervently with a sense of conviction, honesty, and reverence. I would trust that the message this morning would encourage us to humble ourselves before God and bring our petitions fervently before him, large ones, large ones, or small ones, individually or as a church, a group of believers. You know, if you're here today as one who has not trusted the Lord as your personal Lord and Savior, the one prayer that you can be sure that God will hear and answer is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You may word it differently, but that's the most important, earnest request that you can make. It's essential to have that relationship with God before you claim him as our Father in heaven. First, you have to commit your life to him. James 5 verse 16 tells us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much. It has great power. It's dynamic. That's what that means. But the only righteous people are those who are clothed in Christ's righteousness. And this relationship is vital. God listens when his children pray. The Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter 3, verse 12, wrote, The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. It is those who are clothed in Christ's righteousness whose prayers are heard. Small boy complaining to his brother said, Daddy said he likes it when we ask him for things, but I don't think he meant it at all. I told him a long time ago that I wanted a camera, the camera that I saw in the window, but he didn't give it to me. It's no use to talk to him about anything. Don't ask him about anything. Several years went by. Then one morning, the father called his son into his study and said, I suppose you've forgotten all about the camera you wanted. No, I haven't, replied the boy. I just figured you didn't want to spend the money on me. Oh, the father quickly responded, No, no, that wasn't it at all. Then handing a camera to him, he said, Here's the one I wanted you to have. It's a much nicer model than the one you had picked out, and you're old enough now to appreciate the use 
of this one I'm giving you. See, although that son had to wait, he received more than he had asked for. Yes, indeed, our Heavenly Father not only gives us what is best for us, but he also gives it when it is best for us. Again, as individuals, as a church family, it pays to wait. When the timing is right, he answers. First John, chapter 5, verses 11 to 15. And you'll find that in the Pew Bible on page 1269. 1 John 5, verses 11 to 15. It's a reminder that God gives eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can know that with assurance. And that word know is very important. Those those who are trusting Jesus can also have that confidence that when we pray according to God's will, he will give us an answer. Let's close by reading those precious verses. First John 5, verses 11 to 15. Let me read. And this is the record, that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life. These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the Son of of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. 